rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Welcome in, Gamecock fans, inside the Gamecocks podcast. Hope you're having a fantastic Friday out there. It's game week again, and boy, it goes by fast once the uh, um, the season starts. <laughs> I think the weeks, uh, week between week one and week two goes by quicker than any other week uh, in the year. And uh, And here we are, you know, going into the second week of the season. You wait so long for week one. Uh, and then it seems like it just drags and drags and drags and drags, uh, and then it gets here, and boy, it goes fast. So week two, Gamecocks and Gators down at the Swamp in Florida. South Carolina is a 17-and-a-half-point underdog last time I saw. It was 21 earlier this week, but, uh, you know, here come the Gamecocks down to Florida. Uh, I've seen some predictions out there. Tony Morrell with his iconic keys to victory – Predicted 37-17 Florida uh, earlier today on thebigspur.com. You can go read that. Also, you know, you, you kind of look around and uh, Athlon, which I, I never put a lot of stock in. I mentioned this yesterday. Predicted a little bit different game, 40-34, to 34, I guess. You know, based on week one, maybe people don't have a lot of faith in the Gator defense. Um, but I, I'll say this, and I'll, I'll say this before we kind of get started and rolling into the game. And of course we got some mailbag stuff we got to get to. Um, I, you know, I, I do think that against any Todd Grantham coach defense, no matter how talented, there are some opportunities. Cause it's a, those of you that remember Joe Lee Dunn, uh, it's a Joe Lee Dunn style of defense. It, it's different. It's uh, a lot of odd fronts, a lot of exotic pressures, um, and, and those types of defenses, it's a lot of feast or famine. And, and we've seen that the last couple of years, you know, with the Gamecocks and, and them having opportunities that, you know, even with the play calling as it was last year and limited personnel, the Gamecocks have kind of gone up and down the field. So I, I do think that with any defense like that, there's going to be some opportunities. But I'll remind everybody they were missing some guys. Uh, Brad Stewart and Jeremiah by a moon. And I think Kyrie Campbell in particular, that's a D tackle. That's an edge rusher. That's a, uh, uh, their nickel back, I guess. So, you know, those guys are going to be back and, you know, how much were they missing them? That kind of thing. It's the first game. Ole Miss obviously uh, can dial up some ball plays. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised Matt Corral played as well as he did, but he did. Uh, and they've got some good young talent. You know, Carolina's got to go to Oxford later this year, and I think you'll see that uh, with the Ole Miss offense. And so, you know, we'll kind of see what happens. Ole Miss goes to Kentucky this weekend. I think that's an intriguing game, uh, certainly. Um, and, uh, you know, as we kind of look at Lane Kiffin and his group uh, in, the, in week two, you know, you, you just don't know when you talk about week two uh, what you're going to get. You know, I, I honestly think that when you're talking about college football um, in, a, in a season like the SEC is doing, like the ACC right now is exceptionally difficult to decipher because you have a North Carolina team that should be a contender that, you know, they hadn't played a game in a while. 
I think they go to Boston College this weekend. And, but, yeah, you have Miami, who's played three and is looking pretty good. You know, Clemson's played two. It seems like they hadn't – you know, they had an off week last week after Wake. They, they Wake in the Citadel. They played Virginia this weekend. You know, Virginia, I think, just played one game. Virginia Tech just played one game. So, the ACC is sort of a, a weird mess. Uh, I, I think, you know, the Big 12, now that they're in conference play – will kind of even out, but the SEC is all conference games. Uh, and so you go week one to week two. So it's more traditional, um, you know, in terms of, of that. And, and teams do change. I mean, you know, you think about Texas Tech almost losing to Houston Baptist, and then they should have won the game in Austin against the mighty Longhorns. I mean, that's 63-56. You know, uh, Texas was impressive against UTEP their first game, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, look, man, it's a uh, it's a battle week in and week out. Teams do change, um, and and you know for that reason, you know, I'm going to kind of go through the schedule here. Uh, so Carolina's playing Florida on ESPN. The Vols escaped Columbia with a victory last week. They play Missouri, and I think Missouri got some confidence second half. Nick Saban, you know, rest of the starters it was 28-3. Uh, you know, Sean Robinson played pretty well at quarterback for them. Uh, I don't know. You know, Tennessee's been winning a lot of close games. That Missouri game's been kind of a bugaboo historically for them. You know, going to be nice weather in Knoxville around 68 degrees. I, you know, Tennessee's minus 12. Uh, and I think Tennessee will win probably like 28-14, something like that. I think they're, you know, different than Alabama to where it'll be close enough that Tennessee's going to keep its starters on the field. Um you know, so I think that's the deal there. Uh, 3.30 p.m., the CBS game. This game's always on CBS. It seems Texas A&M at Alabama. <coughs> Excuse me. Bama's minus 17 and a half. Um, I don't know where A&M's receiving yards are coming from. And, you know, this is a big game for Kellen Mond. But it, in my mind, it kind of adds up to a Bama blowout victory. Uh, I just – you know, I, I understand the logic, and I was on this train too, that this could be Texas A&M's year because they have an opening and all that. And, and in a regular year, yeah. But then they had all those opt-outs, including their top receiver. Um, I just, you know, to me, it was kind of, it's not as severe as LSU was. You know, but to me, the Aggies, this may have lost too much to be more than what they normally are this season. And I know people are going to gripe and complain about the $75 million man, but, you know, and, and there was a very unfair column by Dan Wolken about Jimbo Fisher. It's time to produce if you're making that much money. Well, look, I mean, give the guy a break. I mean, you know, I, it's, I understand, like I said, that this is going to be their year, but things have changed. And with this team they've got this year, to be honest, if they come within 10 points of beating Bama tomorrow, that's a great coaching job. Um, I, I just, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, there, there's such vilification of coaches that make a bunch of money that that's the reason, you know, again, because he's, you know, Dan Wilkins a pretty political. He's basically a politics writer posing as a college football writer. Um, you know, I thought that was tremendously unfair, um, even though, you know, look, I'm not feeling sorry for anybody making 75 million. Don't get me wrong. I, I, no, no sympathy. For Jimbo Fisher, he can retire and go do TV tomorrow, uh, still make about a million a year and, you know, have a private jet and all that good stuff. So uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm not 
crying tears of sympathy, but I do believe in fairness. And I do believe that, you know, a lot of times people write stuff, not because, you know, they think Texas A&M should be better, but because of their own political views. And I think that sucks. Um, Cause I don't write stuff like that. You know, I don't write about, you know, let my political leanings or, or opinions, which, which I'm sort of in the middle on some things, you guys would be surprised, but uh, it, 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 you know, that has nothing to do with wins and losses, you know, I mean, and, 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 and all that, you know, I don't think anybody reasonable can look at this A&M team and say, oh, well, they don't beat Alabama or don't start getting some big wins. It's a waste of money. Now, I understand their fans are going to feel that way because you didn't spend a lot of money and you want to return on your investment, but this just may not be the year. And sometimes it's not the year you have circled. Sometimes it's the next year. Um, and so there's that. You know, in, in South Carolina's case, it certainly – I mean, 2018 was kind of the year you circled. And then, uh, well, you know, the defense, everybody got hurt. And then, you know, 2019 was not better. Um, so that didn't happen in South Carolina's case. But in some cases, you know, that, that's true. You know, it, it's not the year. It's the next uh, Ole Miss in Kentucky, I told you about that 4 o'clock kickoff on the SEC Network. Kentucky's minus six. Uh, I think Kentucky's going to have to score points in this game. I mean, I, I understand they're going to probably try to run the ball. Uh, Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, 10 catches, 227 yards last week. You know, Ely is a good back. You know, I, I thought Auburn had its struggles running the ball. Ole Miss – and, and I think Bo Nix was very methodical and played a good game, three touchdown passes. But uh, Ole Miss is a different type of attack. So, I, I, you know, I think you could see Ole Miss outscore and win that one. Um, uh, but maybe not. You know, maybe Kentucky goes up and down the field and keeps the ball and, and, and outscores Ole Miss. But that's uh, kickoff, 4 o'clock, Kroger Field, Lexington, Kentucky, 7.30 ESPN. Uh, this game's usually later in the year, but here we go. Fourth-ranked Georgia against seventh-ranked Auburn. Georgia's minus six and a half. I think that's interesting, and you have a lot of people. Tim Tebow even came out and said, oh, Auburn's going to give people fits. Auburn's really good. Um, I, I'm, you know, I don't see it right now. I think Auburn's got issues getting a push on the offensive line. I think Georgia's defense is still the best in the country. Um Auburn's going to have to throw the ball. Chad Morris is going to have to dial some things up. Um, you know, the only thing is, I, I thought Auburn's defense played better than expected. Uh, so how much offense is Georgia going to get? I, I still think Georgia wins by about 13 to 17, covers the spread uh, down there between the hedges in Athens in a socially distanced uh, – I think they're letting about 20,000 in down there. So um, – We'll see what happens. Zamir White, 13 carries, 71 yards, a touchdown last last week for Georgia against Arkansas, a game they trailed at halftime. You know, so we'll see. Felipe Franks threw a pick six in that ballgame too, by the way. <laughs> Shocker. Arkansas at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State was the story of the week last week. Um, kind of – Watched Mike Leach's press conference. Watched Steve Spurrier Jr.'s meeting with the media on Thursday. Um, I think they're trying to keep their kids focused on the on the task at hand. You know, Arkansas, I think, is better than, um, you know, awful, <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, they got good coaches. I've said that all, all offseason. They got a good receiving core. Uh, but, I, you know, Mississippi State's defense is something to look at here. I, I, I thought that – 
even though LSU did go up and down the field and had their share of success, Mississippi State's defense did exactly what it needed to do, forcing turnovers, getting stops at key times. I like their coordinator, a 34-year-old guy that was at San Diego State, kind of out of nowhere. I, th- I think, you know, you watch that guy. Uh, he'll be a – you know, in my opinion, he'll be a guy people are talking about in a couple years. And, and they always have good defensive personnel. Uh, Mississippi State's giving up 17 – I don't know if they cover or not, but I, I do think they win that game. Um, KJ Costello, of course, if he has a big, big afternoon, he'll be over a thousand yards passing in two games. That's amazing. Um, Osiris Mitchell, seven receptions, 183 yards, two touchdowns. Kylan Hill, big, big time game last week as well. And then there's LSU folks um, going up to Vandy. They're giving up 21, Vanderbilt Stadium in Nashville. That's off 730 on SEC Network. LSU still ranked 20th in the country. Um, Mississippi State, by the way, 16th now. I, uh, you know, I, I, I think when you look at LSU's offense last week, you know, they, they do have more skill probably than A&M right now. Uh, and I think Vandy sort of surprised A&M. You know, you, you know, you sit there and you talk about how you, how's Vandy going to stop Terrence Marshall and those guys. So, I think LSU will heal uh, and probably cover the twenty-one. I'm thinking like a thirty-one nothing kind of game right there. And uh, you know, those have kind of been my picks the whole week with all my radio gigs and stuff like that. All right, on to the Gamecocks in Florida. Uh, kind of. You know, typed out so, some notes on this, and um, well, a little different format now. When you access this podcast, if you hit the Big Spur link, you're going to come to kind of an article with some notes um, and some links and some things like that. Just to, you know, sort of, you know, that gets into kind of search engines and things like that, so people can find the podcast better. Our numbers are way up. I appreciate that. I also appreciate all the five star reviews. Uh, and, and we're trucking towards a thousand, man. The goal is to get a thousand by the end of the year. I think we're we're moving towards three hundred. We're just in week two, so I'm fired up about that, uh, and fired up about all you guys that have continued to listen. You you have a lot of choices as far as what you want to listen to now. Uh, I always think that's good. The more Gamecock content, the better. I think podcasting ha- has kind of become the new thing and and I think quite frankly with with few exceptions here and there uh, most of them you know my friends you know streaming is a better option than local radio um you know especially if you're outside of Columbia you know you don't get gamecock talk you know you, you can stream JB and Goldwater uh and they they originate in the low country but and, you know, then ESPN Upstate, since I've left, they don't, you know, they don't really talk about the Gamecocks, uh, you know, and that's that's sad because we used to. We used to talk about Clemson too, but we talked about the Gamecocks uh, quite a bit. And, you know, there are thousands of Gamecock fans in the Upstate. You know, I don't think the Charlotte area addresses it. Atlanta, good luck, you know. So that's where all the Gamecock fans are, according to my metrics for the website and the podcast and everything else. So, I hope that you guys listen to me, uh, listen to, you know, the two uh, very low-fee Patreon podcast, Eric Kimry's and Keith's on Lot on the Gamecocks. That won't cost you that much. Uh, stream JB and Goldwater. Stream Tito's and Chicken. 
Um, Cox by 90 is a podcast from my man. I know his screen name is show me your TDs. Uh, he's really good. Um, you know, so make yourself a playlist lineup. And if you love sports talk radio that talks about your team and focuses on your team while also not ignoring other teams, uh, go line it up, man, line it up. And I appreciate that. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I look at the rankings uh, in terms of Apple and podcast. And this one you're listening to right now is ranked number one. And that's that's not because it's an Academy Award-winning uh, performance by yours truly every day or anything like that. It's because you guys listen. Uh, and you guys write the reviews and the ratings and stuff like that. And I really, really appreciate that. Just wanted to give you guys a shout-out uh, because you guys are the ones that really make everything I do work. If nobody gave a crap about what I had to say or write, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go do something else. Maybe I'd go um, – I don't really know what I'd do. I'd probably go be like a truck driver or something. I think that would be kind of fun. Um, go see the open road. Of course, I can't – I have a Ford F-150 that I'm, you know, I've had for a year now. I'm still kind of learning to drive it. It's the biggest car I've ever driven, so, so maybe that wouldn't work. But uh, anyway, thanks to all of you. All right, so the Gamecocks, they have to run the ball on Saturday to have a shot. I, I just don't know. And, and I understand, again, you know, we, we can't sit there and go, um, well, this happened in week one, so therefore, you know, this is going to happen in week two because that, that gets you in trouble in college football because teams change. And, and I look and I understand the passing yards that, that Florida gave up last week. I really do. Um, they did not play well in the secondary. Uh, and that is, in my opinion, going to change. <laughs> like I said, they've got some guys back. Um, and so I don't think the Gamecocks – and look, I know Gamecocks are limited at receiver outside of Shai Smith. I do think some other receivers are going to get involved. Um, but I, I promise, you know, the Gamecocks are going to have to establish the run. Here's the good news. South Carolina, of all the teams they play on the schedule, the last three years they've been able to run the ball against Florida, and it and it hadn't come with necessarily their top backs. I mean, you know, 2017, uh, Dowdle and Williams were nursing injuries. Uh, they out Carolina outgained Florida 220 to 78, the 28-20 win. Uh, Mon Denson kind of broke out that game, and. Uh, A.J. Turner had 136 yards on 22 carries. The next year in the swamp, Florida did outrush the Gamecocks with 367. And that, that's a big number. But the Gamecocks did have 147 yards rushing. Jake Bentley had a good game passing, too. Um, and, again, it was Mon Denson and A.J. Turner uh, that got it done. Mon Denson, 20% of his career rushing production in terms of yards and three of his seven career touchdowns, uh, have come against the Florida Gators. Um, and so, you know, he played really well. And, and Mon, Mon was a solid back. Don't get, I'm not trying to disparage him and say, well, this, you know, he wasn't that good, but he did well against Florida. That, that's not true. I'm just saying, you know, there was no Rico Dowdle or Tyson Williams. Now, last year, Feaster, who was the number two back, and I think we can all agree uh, he was behind Dowdle because Dowdle played really well when he's healthy. 25 carries, 175 yards. It was his uh, – I think it may have been a career high. Uh, I don't know how many he totaled in that game for Clemson where he had the 98-yard touchdown run. 
but it was one of his, you know, it was his career high at South Carolina, 175 yards on 25. He was running crazy. Um, so the Gamecocks, you know, have rushed for 392 yards on 59 carries. Uh, no, that, that's – I'm sorry. That's A.J. Turner and Tavian Feaster alone, sort of the leading, leading rusher of the last three meetings for, for um, Florida and Carolina, almost 400 yards. Carolina's averaged 194.7 rushing yards per game against the Gators the last three meetings. Uh, including 220 and 2017 and 217 last year. Gamecocks outrushed Florida last year, 217 to 154. 75 yards, though, came on one run for Florida, and that was the run, you know, the, the holding deal, the momentum shifter. You know, I, I honestly think they call that, you know, with the way Carolina's defense was playing at the time, you know, it's 17-10. Who's to say the Gators even score? You know, even if they call it down the field, it's a first down. Uh, and who's to say Carolina didn't go down and get up, you know, bigger? And then Florida A typically under Mullen because they're good at coming back. Um, maybe they just fold and say, man, it's raining. We just lost this one. So who knows? But Carolina's got to run the ball. This this offense is different because it's Bobo's and not McClendon's and before that Roper. But um, I, I do think that there is a – desire to establish the run that means South Carolina's offensive line which you know I I think there's probably a slight overreaction to how the line played against Tennessee uh they weren't perfect it's never going to be perfect in the SEC um and then there were times where you just go man you just got whipped then there were times when you're just like what are you doing um the getting whipped thing you know, that that maybe comes down to talent. You know, maybe you can't help that. But the uh, – the the um, daggum, you know, I don't know where I'm going thing or I missed the assignment or whiff on the block, that can be corrected. And, and I actually thought in the fourth quarter, South Carolina didn't really have offensive line issues. So the Gamecocks lost the game and you're trying to find reasons they lost and you're you're griping about it and – please feel free to gripe and I, I gripe too. But, you know, the good news is, is by the end of the last game, I thought Carolina's offensive line was playing fine. In fact, I thought really, really good down the stretch uh, against Tennessee. And then they, so they kind of rebound and Ja'Kai Moore mentioned that uh, about his own performance this week during media availability that, Hey, once I sat and then I came back in, I thought I played well. And then he's right. Um, most of the offensive line issues were early in, in, in second, you know, first and second quarter. So there's your hope, okay, that Carolina's O-line tightens up because that's what it is. It's tightening up. It's not a dramatic, you know, reinventing of the wheel here because, uh, you know, play like you did in the fourth quarter last week and you'll be fine. Um, but there's your hope is that, it's not like some offensive lines I've seen, like the 2016 offensive line, uh, even though they had a lot of returning players. I mean, they go up against a front like Florida or Clemson. Um, they're they're getting – you know, Carolina's not running it very far uh, at all. Um, you know, go back to the Spurrier era, some of those 2008 offensive line, 2007 at times, and it take them half a year to figure it out. Um, I don't think that's the case here. And I don't think it's like last year either where Carolina was going through kind of a transition with a lot of young players. You had Sidarius Hutcherson out of position. 
Um, Wanham was hurt from a lot of the years. He had to play Jalen Nichols as a true frosh. By the end of the year, you're starting Ja'Kai Moore. I mean, that, the, none of that's ideal, you know. Um, and so I, I think, you know, this year's good. And I'll, tell, I'll, I'll give you some positives on the O-line too. Javon Gwynn did not play that well at right guard. It was the right side most of the night that was struggling. Um, Eric Douglas played really well at center. Sedarius Hutcherson, Sedarius Hutcherson. Um, and then maybe maybe I shouldn't blame it on the right side because I thought Dylan Wanham at left tackle was kind of just okay. Um, but the center played well, and you got Hutcherson. And so, you know what? Who's to say they don't tighten it up? I, I think it's more of a this needs to get better and can than these guys suck and it's the same story as it was back in, in whatever. I know some of you, and this is no disrespect, you're never going to be happy with the offensive line. Um, and that's fine. I, I think it's that way at most SEC schools, and you don't realize that, you know, the reason the O-line looks like crap sometimes is because every week you're playing against some of the best – probably the best defensive linemen in the country. You know, that's what that's what the SEC is really good at is D-line. Um, and, and I'll say this too. We all think we have the best players in the South, uh, that we have across the board the top talent. That is not true on the offensive line. <laughs> Look at Alabama sometimes, and, and they've had more Southern guys in there in recent years because the state of Alabama will put out some some ball players, and that should make you feel good about uh, John Darius Morgan, the commitment from Birmingham the Gamecocks have now. But you know, look at the state. Of, look at look at Alabama. I mean, they. You look at their line, and a couple of years ago, you got a guy from Minnesota starting. You got a guy from Iowa starting. You've got uh, a guy from Pennsylvania. You got a guy from New York City, and then they get three or four guys from California over that time from the offensive line. They're not necessarily going next door and getting players now. Now. You know, you look at the tide, and you got that big kid out of Florida, the, the, the Laramie Tunzel type of guy. You got, um, actually, I think both are both of Alabama's tackles from Florida. I don't. Um, I will pull up the Alabama depth chart because I, I want to make my point here. Um, let's see. You know, because I and the reason I say Bama, Bama's had the best offensive line in the league for years. I even think they were a little bit better than Georgia last year. If you remember Georgia had a lot of ballers, um, but, uh, you know, South Carolina, you know, think about that day. South Carolina's defensive line from a 4-8 and eight team, you know, got the best of them down in and down out. That, that's just life in the SEC on the O-line. You're not going to be great. So Alex Leatherwood, who's who scares me, I, if I, I played a little DN in high school, I was 5'11", 160, I would be scared to go up against him. Uh, and yeah, Evan, all right, so Evan Neal is from Okeechobee, Florida, uh, at one tackle. And then Leatherwood is from Pensacola right now. So, you know, those are kind of exceptions. Landon Dickerson from North Carolina, who's Carolina recruited, uh, is a grad transfer starting center. Deontay Brown's an in state kid. So, so this year, Bama's, you know, pretty much in state. Uh, oh, nope, they're starting guard. It's from Indianapolis. Uh, wait a minute. No, that was their – well, he was out last year with a knee injury. So, you know, we'll see kind of what happens there. But uh, it is it is the case that we don't have the best offensive linemen here in the South because, you know, the better athletes go to defense. And I think one of the good things Eric Wolford's done is he puts a premium uh, on 
I guess, uh, athleticism. And you know what? The, Virginia, I think, technically is the South. But, you know, you, you look at the guy, you know, the guys who's gone and gotten out of Virginia, Ja'Kai Moore and Rashawn Lee. And, look, Lee is a – Lee's going to be fine. I, you know, should – should he have played the eye? He didn't play all that well, but you know, we'll see kind of what the deal is there, but you know, Carolina's put a premium on athleticism and I, and I think that's smart, you know, cause you're not going to be able to go recruit nationally uh, like Alabama and pull, you know, five-star tackles out of Florida and California and everywhere else. So that's my point there is that you're never going to be satisfied because, you know, there's never going to be a situation where uh, it's perfect. It's just not. The defenses and defensive lines in this league are too good, way too good, you know. So that's that. But I don't think all hope is lost when you're talking about the offensive line. Carolina's defense has to build on last week. Uh, This is another situation where, just like the offensive line, people are disappointed because of the the outcome. I'm disappointed because I think where this defense fails a lot and has the last couple of years is in moments. In other words, you know, you, you, you scratch and claw and you're in a close game and your offense finally does something and they're getting it going. And, you know, you got a ball game all of a sudden, you know, you tied at 21, you can't get a stop. Stop them. They kick a field goal. Go back down and tie it 24, 24, you know, Oh, you know, right there again, you get another chance. You can't get a stop. Um, and I know the reasons for those plays or whatever, but man, that's, that's that's demoralizing for an entire team. Um, just like when the offense can't score or the, the offense gets inside the 20 and can't punch it in and comes away with no points, that's demoralizing for the entire team. Well, when your offense is is, is adjusting and scrapping and clawing and gets it together and working its butt off, you know, to try to get in the end zone, they finally do, and they, the, the scoreboard is tied, and then you can't get a stop. You know, you, you got to do that, and that's happened a lot you know, the last few years, you know, this defense, you know, I will remind you the offense played like crap against North Carolina last year, but the offense was scratching and clawing. They get, they finally, Jake hit that touchdown to Markway. It's finally a double digit lead. And you finally go into the fourth quarter against a team that should have, should not have the confidence to come back and beat you. And you give up 200 yard drives, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, and regardless of the circumstance, the, the, your defense, as you know, South Carolina's defense is capable. They got to they got to get some stops when it uh, when it matters. Now, here's the positive: defense held Tennessee to one for eleven on third down. You know that's been an issue around here, getting guys getting you know, getting to third down and then not being able to do it. So that's improved. Uh, I think some of the issues with Tennessee's big plays, or I know some of the issues with Tennessee's big plays, were not things that aren't correctable. I mean, on the flea flicker, it's been talked about ad nauseum. That is a sack or a pick six. But the guy that had contain, and you hear that all the time in football, you can't lose contain. The guy that had the flat made a mental error on his assignment and blitzed. And so Carantano just – chunks it out there and the guy's wide open. I couldn't believe how wide open he was after that. Cause it looked like, you know, it was a half second from being a sack. Kind of like that play in 2013 where Justin Morley hit 
Marquez North to win the game up in Knoxville. Clowney was a half second from just obliterating that guy. It's a game of half seconds against the Vols sometimes, folks. But, um, you know, and and then Cam Smith gets beat on the go route. That's going to happen. You got to forget it. Um, That that won't happen five out of the ten times they throw it. Uh, Jamie Robinson has that perfect coverage on the guy. The guy makes a one-handed catch. That's not going to happen seven out of the ten times they throw it. Uh, and then the one drive they got gashed, which was – that was insane because we talk about moments. First drive of the second half, you're only down seven. You can't let them gash you and go up by two scores. But they did. But that was the only time that happened um, until the fourth quarter on the last drive. Uh, and, again, moments. You know, defense has to get – meet the moment. You know, they're good. They need to meet the moment, okay? Um you know, they get the ball back after the field goal. And, you know, the first play, Gray goes eight yards. You can't do that on first down when you got to get the ball back and you know they're going to run it. And then the next play, Chandler goes 20. And then after that, Carolina stops them and then the punt and then whatever happens. So you, defense has to meet the moment. Because uh, if they don't, they're going to get the, the doors blown off of them this weekend because this, this team, Florida, they have a better scheme. They have better athletes. They have better skill talent across the board than Tennessee. They don't have as good a deep offensive line, but when you're running kind of a system like this, you know, it's it's one of those things. So, um, and I think too, uh, you know, it's, it's just a – it's more of an in-space kind of game, and I'm curious to see how they play it. Israel Mukwamu looks ready to go per Muschamp. We'll see if that happens or not. I, I hear that it's – looking good that he's ready to roll uh i don't know that jamar brown's gonna play i i think that's a big deal you know i I think jamar brown's the type of guy in this type of game that could really help you because he's a kind of a hybrid guy Uh, i think hybrid guys really help against an offense like this and as i said yesterday mcquamu's got to step up i mean this is a golden opportunity against a top five team just like he had last year against georgia you're going to be a number one draft, top first-round draft pick. Let's see it. Um, time for him to step up. J.C. Horn's been doing his job. I think Jamie Robinson's been doing his job. I think the other two, because you can't play with two, uh, Roderick and McQuamu, it's time to time to get back and uh, start start playing. You know, and, and I thought, you know, honestly, Jalen Dickerson could end up taking Roderick's job because I think Jalen's played pretty well when he's been healthy. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, no Jamar Brown, I think, hurts in this game just because, you know, that's the type of guy that can play the play the run pretty well and then can back out in coverage, and he's got good ball skills and instincts. He can play in space. Um, so against this type of team, I think it hurts. Uh, and then some notes on Will Muschamp. He's one in three against Florida. I bet it, it makes him sick that he could realistically be three and one against his former school. I mean, the last two years have been brutal losses to the Gators. Uh, And they've really, I think 2018 took the wind out of the sails. And last year, you know, had they won that one, you know, you're the talk of college football because you've beaten Georgia and Florida in back-to-back weeks. And they, 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 you know, they had them. And I understand the refs and that, that, that was kind of a bad deal and all that. But the bottom line is, you know, it's 2017, 
heading into the third, fourth quarter, and all of a sudden you look up, it's 38-20. So, again, in that game, the offense starts struggling because Grantham owned Brian McClendon in the last two fourth quarters. Uh, and then the defense does not meet the moment. And um, that's – it's tough. I mean, you know, defense needed to get a stop. I don't. I don't think the goal going into that game last year was to hold them to thirty-eight, <laughs> maybe twenty-four. But uh, you know, so the defense has to meet the moment. Muschamp's one and three against Florida. He is two and six in the Florida South Carolina game. He was one and three against the Gamecocks as the coach of the Gators. Um, he's one and six in this game when he faces the other team's permanent head coach and not an interim. Um. Because obviously that 2017 win at South Carolina against the Gators was uh, Randy Shannon was was coaching that. Chris Rump was dialing up the defense uh, for the Gators after McElwain got fired midseason. Um, so yeah, so his record is not that good in the Florida South Carolina game. There've been some interesting moments, and certainly, you know, he got the best of the Gamecocks in 2012, which was just a weird game. Um, the first half, Jadevian Clowney's dominating and. You know, Carolina's not going very far on offense, and, and they had some turnovers and got behind. But Carolina could have come back. And I, I thought that was one of those games Steve Spurrier got frustrated and just said, ah, you know. <laughs> uh, then they regrouped. And Carol- I don't think Carolina lost another game that year. And the 2012 was a really good football team at South Carolina. So that was a weird one, but that was sort of Muschamp's best year. You know, he was 11-1. and one at Florida that season. So, you know, will will Muschamp's probably do in this series, you know, I would I would say, but I uh I think that this matchup is just really tough, really tough. It almost been better just in terms of I guess the season and all that. Maybe for the Gamecocks to play Florida one number first and then Tennessee second. But you know, cuz that Last week's loss, so there was a lot of first game mistakes, you know. I think, uh, but that's that's reality when you're playing a all SEC schedule. I mean, unless they had gotten Vandy or maybe Missouri coming to South Carolina, it, it wasn't going to be a layup. It's going to be a competitive ball game. So that's just it is what it is in that situation. All right, this is the final word episode. Gamecocks play the Gators this weekend of the. Uh, episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. You guys have been great with the mailbag questions, and I'm going to continue to answer them. Uh, I love that. I love that you guys ask questions because it's not just me blabbering. This is an interactive podcast. Um, Okay. So we got two ways to ask questions. We got Twitter where you go at the Big Spur Pod, just tweet at the Big Spur Pod, and we're going to obviously answer them. And we got two of them today. First one comes in from at Joe Sports Caller. At the Big Spur Pod, I know Tanner has equity with the administration. However, why does he deserve to make uh, the hire on the next coach if Muschamp doesn't work out? His initial hirings have not worked out in baseball or football. Can we really trust him with that? This is a, this is, look, I I understand the narrative. Okay. There. I, I, I get it because, you know, number one, I mean, Mark, Mark Kingston's supposed to have a good team this year, but I think in the SEC, a lot of baseball teams are going to be good because a lot of guys are coming back. Um, I, 
and I understand he's recruiting really well for the most part. Uh, and baseball should cycle up, but there's no way you can look at his his body of work so far, uh, especially with the way last year was trending, and say that was a you know this great hire because the standards for Carolina baseball are up there, you know, and, and going eight and twenty two in the SEC in any season is bad. You know, that said, he took his first team to the, a game from Omaha. Arkansas was really good that year. Unfortunately, they lost in the finals. But they were, I think, the only team to beat Arkansas, like, in the playoffs before Omaha. Um, so that year that year was good. But then you go 8-22, and 22, and then last year was not – didn't start well. They lost the Clemson series and didn't look you – know, SEC play hadn't started. So – I get that, and I know Holbrook didn't work out, but there, there's not an AD in the country. Let's say Ray Tanner had left. Eric Hyman was still the AD. Tanner goes to Texas or something, takes that job as a baseball coach. Chad Holbrook is still getting hired. Um, and and look, that's fine. You know, it just didn't work out. So so, and then there's Muschamp. So I, you know. It's not like he's made a ton of hires, but I do think it's fair to question it. And where I would question Tanner would be, you know, he's paid to make decisions on personnel. And I felt like last year there was an argument for a change, you know, because you get to year four, it's supposed to be your best team. I understand you lost your quarterback, but you got to be prepared in year four if your quarterback gets hurt, to go win games. They look terrible on offense. They just were not even competitive the last two games of the season against A&M and Clemson. By all accounts, the program went backward. And I know they had a good recruiting class. And credit Will Muschamp totally for holding on to it and for getting Jordan Birch and all that. That, that was great. But I don't think you ever make a coaching decision based on recruiting because, number one – you know, recruits are a, a, a crapshoot. You know, yeah, you got a five-star guy. He's supposed to be good. Well, sometimes he isn't. And in football, it's more about the collective class than it is about one or two guys. Now, Marshawn Lloyd could be a could, should have been a big difference maker, but he's hurt. So, so, the, so this is why you don't keep guys coaches based on recruiting. And I don't know that Ray Tanner did that. I think I think it's the baseball coach in him. Uh, I've seen his baseball teams be down 13 to one in the seventh inning and come back and win. Um, so I think he's a guy that just, you know, it's like the movie Braveheart hold, 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 hold. I think it's just his nature. Um, um, and so, yeah, I mean, if it doesn't work out, that's a bad hire and you can't make it. I, I still think even if Muschamp doesn't work out, He's leaving a and barring like mass transfers and things like that, he's going to leave a roster where the guy can come in here and win immediately. And I think you know that would have probably been the case after year four. So you get started on the next air, but uh, I think that'll be the case after year five, and you know who knows year six, whatever. Because um, I do think this roster is better. This is what's baffling about the wins and losses because there's good players, good players, not at every position, some position, but look, schools, you have to understand, even at Alabama, you go through years where you're like, man, our linebackers suck. <laughs> you know, that that's just one of the things. So uh, I think that, um, 
you know, I, I think that, uh, that, that, that's just how it is, you know, with that. So, so does Tanner deserve, so, so this deserve thing, um, I don't care, you know, I don't care about, does he deserve this or deserve that or whatever, you know, can we trust him? I think that's crap. Uh, especially if it happens here pretty soon because the, the, the pool of candidates is a lot different than it was in, in 2015. Um, I still don't think Will Muschamp considering the pool of candidates was a bad hire. I, I can understand the theory behind why it would work. Um, and I, I just don't know that whoever the AD is, uh, if you get a new AD, I think he's got, you know, a chance to really screw it up, you know? And, and I'm talking about the names out there like Billy Napier or Scott Satterfield or Shane Beamer or Sean Elliott or, you know, Will Healy or whoever, you know, whoever, pick your guy, okay? Um, you know, you look at the Missouri hire last year, and I don't know if Eli Drinkwitz is going to work out or not. But you could have, you know, Skip Holtz and, and um, Willie Fritz – were excellent hires, the obvious excellent hires for Missouri. Okay. You want a guy that can do less with more or sorry, less with more. Sorry. Let me back up on that. More with less at Missouri. When is Eli Drinkwitz proven that he was, had a loaded team at app state. He had a bunch of great offensive players at NC state. Thanks to, uh, you know, Des Kitchings recruiting. And uh, he was at Boise State before that. And that place, you know, they're, they're always rolling with players for the Mountain West. You know, so, so where on what planet does Eli Drinkwitz give Missouri a strategic advantage? But Willie Fritz is winning at freaking Tulane. You know, Skip Holtz is winning titles and going to bowls at Louisiana Tech, which is a hard job, and he's a Holtz, you know. But that guy at Missouri, who I know is not the favorite among the Gamecock people because he accused the Dawn Staley of being racist and what the hell ever with that, you know, that's how you can screw it up. And so uh, with somebody that just comes out of left field, you know, I, I think, you know, you go hire the guy from UCF who I think is an excellent athletic director, Danny White. And I think if they do make a change at AD, that's the guy they need to go get. I mean, is he going to want to bring Josh Heupel? And is Josh Heupel, who was just so-so at Missouri as the OC, you know, is he going to be able to come in here and do what he's doing at UCF? I don't know. The competition's higher. You know, Josh Heupel's kind of out of left field. You know, or or are they going to make the moves that make sense? Because I I honestly will tell you, I believe if Will Muschamp is replaced, you know, outside of, you know – something happening like a mid-year deal, which won't. And Bobby Bentley taking over and, and winning a bunch of games or Mike Bobo taking over and winning a bunch of games and earning the job. You know, th- those guys I mentioned, Shane Beamer, Sean Elliott from the previous staff. And, you know, I know you guys have mixed feelings about Elliott, but he's coaching his butt off. And Georgia State is a ridiculously hard job. Um, and he surprised even me with his success. Uh, and I don't think he'd lose to Citadel again if he came back. Shane Beamer, I, I kind of know his career and his trajectory, and his whole life is about doing more with less. And he's also been at some some programs like Oklahoma that you know really are into ice coaching offense out there. You know, with Lincoln Riley. I mean, 
knows the program. It's his dream job, even over Virginia Tech. Uh, guy would bring a lot of passion. You know, Scott Satterfield built what Eli Drinkwitz used at App State. Knows the Carolinas. Every high school coach in North and South Carolina loved the guy. And he's a he's a different kind of – he's an offensive guru, which is what some of you want. Uh, and then Billy Napier, you know, coach for Nick Saban, coach for Dabo, played at Furman, um, is winning, again, playing for conference titles at Louisiana Lafayette. Now, that, that's not a bad Sunbelt level job, to be honest. I mean, Louisiana – the raging Cajuns can cut some folks, you know. Don't let's not let's not kid ourselves here. That's you know that's not like Georgia State, but uh, and he escaped Georgia State by the way the other day. But Napier's a tenacious recruiter. He's uh, I think familiar with this state enough to where he would he would be very driven <laughs> to build the Gamecocks back um, and all that. So, so I don't I don't even know that it should get past any of those guys. And let, let's say unless like Mario Cristobal wanted to come from Oregon and you could go get a guy like that. Um, but it's very rare that a power five leaves for another power five. I think with Satterfield, his connections to the Carolinas are so strong that he would consider it. Uh, but you don't, you don't really get, you know, you're not going to go lure somebody out. I mean, or, or do you want to go the route that's worked and hire Bob Stoops? You know, that, that that's the whole, or try to hire Bob Stoops. <laughs> That's the whole deal, okay, is that, I, you know, last time Ray had two guys, Herman and Kirby. And then when you got into that next tier, you know, Will Muschamp was the guy. Now you can say he should have hired Lincoln Riley or he should have hired Dan Mullen or what. I mean, it's easy to say that. Um, easy to say, oh, I wish you hadn't Kirby smart because those guys are winning because they're good programs, like traditionally good. I mean, it's hard, you know – to screw up Oklahoma uh, when you're running that style of offense in that league. You know, it's hard to screw up Georgia uh, if you're Kirby Smart, you know. Uh, I don't want to say it's hard to screw up Florida because a lot of coaches have screwed that up, but uh, Mullen's familiar with it and doing an excellent job. Um, so you can say that, but at the time, go back. I mean, you know, you, th- there was a case for everybody, but it, th- the case for Muschamp, you know, if you think about it, you're like, well, if he changes his offense, you know, and that's the thing is that some of the stuff when you talked about hiring Will, it didn't come to fruition in a way that you thought it would. And he made some mistakes. It was a mistake hiring any offensive coach, including Kurt Roper off the previous staff at Florida. But Kurt Roper, as I've said many times, great on the chalkboard. You know, what are you supposed to do? You know, he improved the offense his final year at Florida and had a defensive back playing quarterback most of the year. So what do you, you know, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Turned out by the end of 2017, they're like, man, this guy can't call plays, you know. The guy that he was the guy that worked for the guy. Um, Brian McClendon, you know, ended up being a mistake, but you know, there were some record setting performances under him, you know, on offense. A lot of that had to do with Jake Bentley and Brian Edwards, Debo Samuel and Shai Smith. Rico Dowdle and those guys, but uh, you know, look, it, it, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Um, you know, if Muschamp doesn't work out, the concern with me is what you're doing is if you have to make a change in football, but you're like, no, you know, we're going to wait and fire Ray, and then the new AD can make that decision. Then you're going to delay fixing football. 
And if you look at the athletic department as a whole, what are the problems? You're not winning in football or baseball. And men's basketball needs to get back to the tournament. But, you know, that's the problem. You know, there's no like, I mean, there's a financial issue because of a pandemic, but they're making plenty of money. You know, look at the upgrades to Williams Bryce. Those were smart for a, a kind of a low price of $22 million. So Tanner's taking care of the fans. You know, Tanner's raising money. You know, Tanner's doing this, Tanner's doing that. So, you know, you want to like, you want to say, all right, Ray, you know, you can go make the hire and we're going to, we're going to insist on having a search committee that we monitor and we're not paying We're not signing anybody to a huge buyout <laughs> after a while. Um, you know, after three years, you know, you get the big, the big buyout, you know, we're not doing that anymore. You know, that's fine. That's a job of the president and the board of trustees to say, okay, no more ridiculous buyouts in your contract. But as far as making the hire, I, I, I strongly believe that this whole crap about fire the AD and then fire the coach, the, the more pressing issue if you're in a position to fire a coach in football is football because the, the athletic department as a whole is fine. The, the issue with the athletic department is football, you know, to a lesser extent baseball. So, you know, facilities are going up, everything, every, you know, we, there's been – you know, like I could make a case that Mike McGee, who was really good at hiring, was a uh, except for Brad Scott and uh, you know Dave Odom, kind of a fifty-fifty hire. Uh, but he hired Ray Tanner, Steve Spurrier, and Lou Holtz. So you know, all credit to him. But I could make a case that you know, as an athletic director, Carolina maybe needed better leadership during that time because the, the facilities were ten years behind by the time Eric Hyman got to South Carolina. You know, he let that slide. And I understand why. But, you know, you, you got to go spend money to make money in this league and to be competitive. So, uh, you know, I think, it, you know, as far as running the athletic department, there, there's not a lot wrong. The problem is winning. And, and if it's a winning issue in a specific sport, then that sport needs to be fixed before you're just butthurt over a bad hire that an AD made and you want to kick him to the curb first and further delay fixing the problem, you know, and that's all hypothetical. There's a game tomorrow. Will Muschamp could win. He could turn the whole thing around. But, but that, that's my thing with that is that, you know, this whole notion with Tanner should not be allowed to do that. No, it, it, there's ways around it. If you want to put some safeguards on him or whatever, get president Caslin involved or whatever, that's fine, but I'm telling you, it's almost impossible to screw it up. What will screw it up is if you hire some suit from somewhere else that has his own ideas and knows it all that nobody wants to work for, you know, uh, that goes and, and, and makes a, a hire like Florida State when they hired Willie Taggart, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have problems. You know, that's what's going to screw it up. And I think that with Ray Tanner, too, in terms of actually convincing coaches, coaches are going to come – where they have a chance to win and where they're going to get paid. Um, and South Carolina, believe it or not, is an attractive job because they're not in the West, still in the East. You know, Tennessee and Florida look like they're better. You know, are, are they going to come all the way back? I don't know. You know, they're still not all the way back. Georgia's really good. Uh, but it's different than the West where you got to butt heads with everybody. And now you got the Pirate at MSU. And, 
Kevin at Ole Miss and Arkansas's got good coordinators and a guy that's going to work his butt off. So that, 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 you know, that's different than the East where you can usually count on, you know, Kentucky being a tough out now, but there's, you know, there's still Kentucky, uh, Vandy and Missouri and, you know, South Carolina, it's an easier deal. Um, and, and so that's the number one thing with coaches. Can we win? Is there a chance to win? How much am I getting paid? And then, but if it, but if they have a situation where you have a, an AD they don't get along with, that at the first time of first sign of problems, you know they're going to go and make a make a change after a year, you know that's going to be a red flag. And I know that most coaches love Ray Tanner, and obviously, you know he's. I think the fact that he didn't get rid of Muschamp last year probably endears him to guys. So, so my thing is, you know, if it if it happens soon, now now if it happens in a year or whatever, if you've already made you know, some, some changes, um, you know, and, and, and it's just, you know, it gets delayed and you want to go ahead and if this year is bad, but you can't make a change because of the pandemic and, and you you kind of see the writing on the wall and you want to go ahead and Tanner goes into administration, you hire a new AD, give Muschamp one more year, whatever, that's fine. Uh, I think that's going to hurt the program, uh, but maybe there's nothing you could do about it because of the pandemic. Th- then that's fine. You know, and I and I, but I also think it's asinine for some people, and, and I'm not saying, Mike, uh, Joe, that you you believe this, to say they would they would rather deal with one more year of Muschamp, you know, because c- fundamentally they're pissed off because Muschamp is the coach and losing, but they deal one more year losing football just to get rid of Ray Tanner. Come on, man. Knowing what coaches are out there that would take the job, and I don't know which one they'd ultimately get, but I, I know Tanner could probably get them. You know, it, it, it's a football problem. It's not an athletic department problem. You know, you, you need to, you know, you need to understand that. You know, you, you got to fix the problem, and you know, keep in mind Ray doesn't have to be a one man band if he makes another hire. You know, you, you can have a search committee. You can check it off. You checks and balances, and I. I promise you, if if he did make a change after this year, he'd hire somebody that you like, uh, that everybody can kind of get behind. Now, if he doesn't, I'll be the first to tell you, you know, this is a mistake. Um, And I would have said that about Muschamp, but I didn't believe it was a mistake, and I still don't believe that at the time uh, it was a mistake. Um, I think you could certainly question not making a change after last year. All right, I'm going to get off that topic. Um. Patrick says, mailman here, JC. All right. You're spot on with the dog barking theory. We show up, they bark. When we leave, they think they're the reason 100%. We're talking about red. Yep, that's true. He's like, oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) I did good. I got rid of the monsters. Thanks, Patrick, for that. And the red's been kind of quiet today. No mail. I guess the mail runs late on Fridays or whatever. Uh, Justin says, what record would they have to put up for Muschamp to lose his job? Not saying that's what I want. Just curious. I don't know. I just, I just don't know. Uh, I don't know because of the pandemic. Um, if we weren't in a pandemic year, two things. Number one, if, if we were just in the, how the season was supposed to play out, I think South Carolina would be 4-0 right now. You know, because I think they would have beaten Kentucky after starting three and other. They had the confidence to go up there and win. 
Um, if they were sitting at two and two, uh, I would say that a change is inevitable. Um, but I think they'd be four and oh, so it's kind of hard to compare. So, you know, under the regular deal, I thought Muschamp had to get back to a bowl and have a winning season. And I'll tell you why, because it's, it's a, uh, it's a deal where, you know, you hired Bobo, you signed him to a two-year deal. You're implementing a new system. You're, you're finally going to got a guy on offense you trust. Um, you got some good recruits in 2020. I thought it would have been, you know, unf- highly unfair because you didn't let him go last year if he improved the team, you know, got back to six, seven wins um, to let him go. You know, I thought, you know, if you're going to bring it back, it's a two-year deal if he gets back. Now, any kind of losing season or non-bowl season, five and seven or worse, I, you got to let it – you got to go. You got to change. You know, you can't keep having losing seasons, you know. So that's what I thought with the regular 12-game schedule. Now with this, I don't know. You know, are we going to use the all-SEC schedule as as a a, a curve grading on a curve? Um if that's the case, three SEC wins, I mean, three and seven, that's a worse record than last year. I don't, I don't know, you know, and then you throw in the pandemic. Um, uh, I, I, I would hope, you know, just from a, just from my standpoint in terms of, you know, what I think a legitimate goal for this team is and something I think they can, I think they can go 500 and get to a bowl in the league. And five SEC wins is really good at South Carolina. Uh, I think just with the way this year is, uh, with the talent they have on defense, with the way the offense can be run, you know, and, and they may start 0-2 as they may have to finish 5-3, and three, but I think that's legit. Now, anything less than that, will Muschamp be fired? I don't, I don't know. Again, you know, there's that $58 million loss the athletic department's looking at because of, of the pandemic, so – so who knows? All right, Noah. This is email inside the game at gmail.com. Keep up with the great work. After hearing you talk about future coaching candidates, I was wondering what would you think about hiring Mike Bobo as the head coach. However, I'm not advocating for Muschamp to go as I think he could turn the season around. I'm not either. And I I'm just I discuss that. You know, I discuss this because that's what you guys want to talk about. And I kind of like the coaching carousel to talk about that. Who's a fit, who's not. Um, so that's it. I, you know, Mike Bobo, I thought had a uh, very, very difficult uh, job at, at Colorado state. I thought he did some good things. I think his health, you know, was an unfortunate issue out there. Um, that's a tough job. Do I think Mike Bobo can become a head coach again and be successful? Yes. Just like I thought about, well, Muschamp after Florida, I don't think if you're Ray Tanner, you can hire somebody twice in a row that's been fired from another job, especially a job like at, at the Mountain West level. And that's nothing against Mike Bobo. I think Mike Bobo is an excellent head coach. Now, let's, let's, let's throw this scenario in there, though. Let's throw this scenario in there. Let's say something happens, and in the middle of one of these seasons, Muschamp is out, Bobo takes over, and they start winning. Absolutely. In an interim situation like that, you could do it. And I think the world of Mike Bobo, I really do. I'm, I'm surprised it didn't work out in Fort Collins. And, you know, I, a lot of the talk around the coaching community is when he went out there was, you know, he'll be there just like McElwain was for two or three years and he'll win and then he'll come back to an SEC job. 
Um, sometimes life doesn't work out, though. So there we go. Um, Mark says, podcast is great. Keep up the good work. I'm concerned for the second straight year. We're shuffling the offensive line again after the first game. Who's our best five right now? I feel it should be Turnitown, Hutch, Douglas, Gwen, and Wanham. That That's what it was. The thing with Jazz, Turnitown, is he hit a wall, sort of, in preseason, and all of a sudden he just started getting outplayed in practice um, by other guys, assignment-wise and stuff like that. I think he'll come on. Um, but I don't know if it's going to be that way this weekend. In fact, I – you know, Mark, I think they're going to probably start the exact same group they started last week. I think Ja'Kai Moore will be right tackle and Wano will be left. Uh, but, hey, shuffle it. Shuffle it all you want, man. I mean, you know, find the best five. And, and, and look, that happens at every on every offensive line in the SEC. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. Um, but last year they made a much-needed shuffle when they put Donald Stanley back at center. Jim says, every year we see a few teams who are picked to win it all that totally deflate after a loss. This year, I expect there'll be a few top teams who lose a game who weren't supposed to that have a bunch of players opt out. Uh, you agree? Any predictions? I see A&M being the poster child. Well, the top team that's had the uh, deflating loss would be Oklahoma, I would guess, right now. Uh, will A&M have more opt-outs if things don't go well? I could see it because obviously there, there's a lot of guys down there that really weren't interested in the breakthrough year. Um, but that's hard to tell. That, that Jim, that's a, that's a good theory, though. Uh, but, but I'll get back to this. It, with Major League Baseball, you know, they were talking, you know, 60-game season or whatever. Like, say you're on a team that has no shot at the playoffs. How many guys are going to start opting out or whatever? Because you could opt out and still get paid. Um, and, and really, they had very few. Very few. Uh, and I credit those guys because love of the game. You know what I'm saying? So, all right. That's all the time we have. I've blabbered on and on today. Thanks for the mailbag questions. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Uh, watch the game tomorrow. If you have a question about it, shoot it to me. We'll roll it out on Monday, maybe before. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, depends on what I get into this weekend. But, um, we can uh, do that. Also, you can tweet to at the Bigs per pod and have your questions answered. Thanks for getting on Apple Pods and all the reviews and ratings. We appreciate that. Don't forget also the JC and Morgan College Football Podcast dropped yesterday. Uh, we completely review and preview the SEC. We talk about Miami. Talk about how the Big 12 sucked so far this year um, and all that good stuff. Myself and Mike Morgan from ESPN and the SEC Network. All right. Folks, my prediction tomorrow, unfortunately, uh, Florida 38, Carolina 20. Uh, that's a touchdown less than the Gamecocks got last year. Uh, I just think Florida's got too much talent uh, on, you know, the offensive side of the ball. And, look, I hope I am wrong. I swear to God, I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I think, you know, you could see a competitive game and the Florida pull away at the end, just like, you know, quite frankly, they've dominated the fourth quarter the last two years. I I would hope that somebody on defense would remind everybody of that and say, we have to win the fourth quarter against these guys because we played pretty good for three quarters the last two years, but I just – I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, folks. Um, so that's my prediction. Uh, and don't be disappointed, but uh, we will talk with you very fine folks on Monday. Uh, like I said, maybe a little before. If, if there's a big upset, maybe. <laughs> uh, if not uh, – Certainly appreciate all you guys listening this week. It's been a tough week. Uh, 
to kind of digest last weekend's loss. But uh, watch it tomorrow. Just be thankful for another college football day. I'm J.C. Sherbert. This has been the final word episode of the Lots of the Gamecocks podcast, Florida edition. Have a great weekend, everybody.